Welcome to the Unwritten Life Podcast, where we share that your deepest pain can lead to your biggest gain, and that your story is still unwritten. Now introducing your host, Tim Sawhook. Welcome to the show today, everybody. So excited to have you here for another episode of the Unwritten Life Podcast. As always, I am your host, Tim Sawhook, and I am excited to have you here again for yet another amazing episode, amazing interview on the Unwritten Life podcast. So I wanted to start, like always, with a little housekeeping. I wanted to say thank you so much for downloading last week's episode with Jed Zayner. Uh, He had quite the story and quite the experience and quite a message of hope from all the things that he did go through. So I'm very thankful for you guys for downloading that episode. As always, I am asking to hear new voices, new stories, new messages of hope. And if you've been listening long enough, you know I ask all the time, and I would love to have you join me here on the podcast. I know it's a little scary sometimes to think about having your story out there and sharing intimate details that nobody else knows in your life. But those intimate details, that vulnerability, could be the step in helping someone else in their life being that one shining light out there, thinking that it doesn't matter, but it does. Your story matters so much to so many people, and I would love to have you join us here on the podcast. Also, I want to thank everybody so much for leaving written reviews on iTunes and rating the show. That helps everybody see it often. And if you haven't done so yet, and there was maybe an episode that was really touching to you and it really meant a lot to you, please go to iTunes and leave that written review so more people do see the podcast come up and give them that chance at hope like you guys do every week listening to it. Like I said at the beginning, we have another amazing episode today, another great interview. Our guest today, she is a mom, she is a wife, she is an author, she is an artist, and she is going to leave you with so much hope. She's got a smile and she's got a laugh that will keep you laughing as well. Here's my conversation with Phoenicia Marchette. Well, I would like to welcome Phoenicia Marchette to the show today. How are you doing today, Phoenicia? I'm doing great. Thank you. Well, I got to say already I'm jealous because you probably have way better weather than we have today here in Ohio. What's your weather looking like today? Oh, I don't think you want to know, Tim. It's gorgeous. It's actually <laughs> it's a perfect California day. Not too hot, not too cold, a nice little breeze in the sunshine. Well, you deserve it. All right. I'm not going to be too jealous and hate on you that much for the weather. But I'd like to welcome you to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today and taking the time out of your day to share your story. Yes, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So it's weird how I found and connected with Phoenicia. A lot of people who have been on my podcast before have been organic from friends or referrals or things like that. I was happened one day to be searching on Facebook for stories of hope that I could put on my Facebook story and kind of share with thing. And I came across Phoenicia's story. And it stood out to me so much. I was like, I have to get a hold of her and contact her blindly, hoping that maybe she'd come on the podcast to share her story. And the way God has lined it up, she is here today to share it. And I know she's going to touch your guys' hearts out there and really offer a lot of hope. But before we get into the meat of her story and uh, what really brought her here today, what's, what was your story like beginning before all this happened? Well, before all of it happened, um, Tim, honestly, um, I grew up in the church, so I was always a believer, um, Mm -hmm. super positive person. Uh, But at the same time, I was a control freak, Tim. I'll admit (laughs) that. I I was. Um, Mm -hmm. Just memories of uh, law school, and even after I graduated, I would have, like, all white furniture, perfect uh, pictures. My sister used to refer to my house as the the art museum because everything was too perfect. Um, and, and, and so I had this plan in my mind of what I wanted my life to be like, and it actually was following the script. Mm-hmm. Um, I got married. Um, I had two children and uh, a great career. Uh, but like I said in my story in the article, things started happening, and I don't think I was prepared for it. Because mm-hmm. I think before, I, like most people, you have a vision of what you want your life to be like. Right. Yeah, so early on, how old were you when you got married? So I was 30 years old when I got married. Okay. Which, which actually was a little later than my master plan. Because <laughs> <laughs> we're going to have to take a look at that master plan later and see if this all matches up. 
Um, None of it matches up. <laughs> none of it matches up. So you got married at 30. You started having some babies. You got, you know, you guys were happy. Everything, like you said, was going according to your plan and the perfect way you had laid it out. And you just mentioned a second ago, nothing really goes according to plan. We, you know, we don't really anticipate those zigzags that are coming in our life, but, you know, prepares us for this growth. So where does your story start to evolve like that? Well, I think, I think part of it was that my, my first husband, we went to college together. Mm-hmm. Um, I met him when I had just graduated from high school. So I was 17 and he was 19. Oh, and wow. so we pretty much grew up together sure. and throughout our 20s while I was in law school. So it seemed like that was the right thing to do and the right mm-hmm. person to marry. Um, but interestingly enough, he made a shift in his career um, and he became a stand-up comedian. So he, he had, he had a, um, he had a corporate uh, background mm-hmm. and he decided he wanted to pursue his passions. Um, and, you know, it, it was great at first. I was super supportive. He was traveling a lot. He was on right. the road a lot. Um, but then when we had our first child, that's when reality set in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, hindsight, uh, because I used to blame him a lot because sure. of because I thought, oh, he's pursuing his passion. I'm here. I'm, you know, working and going crazy here in the corporate world. Right. Uh, but now that I look back, there could have been even a level of resentment from me that mm-hmm. contributed to it because he really, truly was pursuing his passions. Right. And so that sort of led to our, our demise a little bit because um, he was traveling. He was uh, basically meeting his goals. Um, I felt in a way, in a a way I felt a little trapped um, Mm -hmm. because I had to be the one to hold down the home front. Um, And actually, he was the reason why I moved to California from Washington, D.C. area where I was raised Um, because Mm -hmm. he had actually went uh, out to California ahead of me um, to pursue his dreams as a comedian. And so I sort of followed behind a little later. And then later that year, we got married. Um, So... You know, it, it started off like great, but <laughs> after yeah. a while. So it got a little crazy there for a while. Let me take a step back in your story here. And you said in hindsight, you know, you'd see it differently. If you were able to go back and change anything, and I'm not saying that you don't want to change your life now, but you're in this situation, you guys are married, and all of a sudden he says, hey, I have this dream. I want to become a stand-up comedian. I want to go after my passion and stuff. And like you said at first, you were very supportive of that. And where do you think you could help even people listening now to not confuse support for resentment and not mixing those two together? Well, I think that one of the things that I've learned now is that marriage truly is a partnership. Mm -hmm. So it really never be about just one person pursuing their passions. I I think that we probably should have had a little, uh, a lot more sit down conversations about family goals and Mm -hmm. family goal settings. And then maybe incorporate personal projects and things that we're interested in um, as part of that discussion. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you this, and, I, and quite frankly, is that I had no interest in becoming an artist or a children's author during that time. So, right. <laughs> so, so I'm not sure how that conversation would have gone because I really, I, I truly didn't have something I was that passionate about at the time. Um, but I think that hindsight, I think that I, my advice would be for people to sit down and establish family goals. And that way everyone gets to say in what they want to do. Right. Well, I might ask you that. So when he got so gung-ho and so fired up and he was passionate about it and, you know, you're holding down the fort, did it scare you that you felt like, wait a minute, what is my passion in all of this? Did it, were you afraid that you didn't have a passion? Well, I, you know, what I think it was was more so um, – and I don't want to be overly dramatic, but I sort of felt like I was in jail a little bit because I, I started thinking, oh, my God, my day was just the same thing. Day, you know, the days running into each other. Right. Um, and then and at the time, too, the girls were so young, um, so young. And so there was a lot of me given into them, which right. I don't regret. But I think that and I, and I can't say it's just a, a female thing because I meet men all the time who are phenomenal fathers who may have the same types of feelings. But it was a feeling of just that almost like, and I hate to use the word trapped, but I almost felt kind of trapped in my life. Mm-hmm. And I started feeling like this can't be it. I, I don't want this to be my new normal every year, year after year, right? decade after decade. Yeah, well, I think that can be scary. Like you said, um, you felt trapped. 
in this day in and day out. And I think it, it is different for females, especially moms and wives, because moms, the kids want the mom. You know, I was a there was a time in my life when I was a stay at home dad for like five years, best thing I ever did. But it, I could sit in the chair next to my wife, and the kids will bypass me, jump over to talk to her about the same. You know, so I think it is different for moms and wives in that in that way. And I think moms are superheroes. I mean, they really are. You guys do so much work, and you guys can ten thousand lists on ten different mindsets. It's crazy. So a lot of props to moms out there right now. Um, but yeah, I think I think it is different because with a, if a man as a dad. And then the mom and the wife, it's a different role. It's a different bit of energy, I think. Yes, definitely. Definitely. I mean, and even I make the joke that a mother and a dad, like you said, they could be they could be sitting right next to each other or better yet, the dad could actually be standing in the kitchen and the child sees the, the dad in the kitchen and say, hey, mom, I'm thirsty. And mom's sitting in the <laughs> living room. The dad's sitting right there in the kitchen. But yeah. hey, mom, I'm thirsty. <laughs> No, it, it is crazy like that. <laughs> so how did things begin? Did, did you feel more of a distance between you? You know, he's traveling, you're here at home, he's pursuing his passion, excuse me, and you feel like you're trapped in your everyday environment. What happened next? Well, actually, during the time, my father, um, he had been suffering from COPD for, for years. Mm -hmm. And actually, he was first diagnosed with it when I was in law school. So it was a very prolonged, painful, painful illness. Mm -hmm. um, about a year before I separated and divorced uh, my first husband, my dad took a turn for the worse. Um, and we had actually gone out to visit him. And um, I just remember having a conversation with my ex-husband where... Um, I, I thought that at the time he just wasn't that he didn't really have a lot of compassion <laughs> to be very candid um, right. because I felt like I felt exhausted. I, I, you know, I think that anyone who's dealing with an, a parent who's very, very sick and actually miles away, um, it, it's, it's exhausting because you feel helpless. Um, you can't really do much. So there are other relatives that are around who are, who are chipping in. You feel like it should be you. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes you'll communicate with a medical professional who's there with, with your parent, and then you're on the phone, and there's almost – they may not be doing it on purpose, but they, they say things, and you're thinking, oh, my God, they must think I'm the most horrible person on the planet. Right. Um, so it, it started to really fall apart, I think, where there was a tremendous amount of stress um, and like I said, the communication factor just simply was not there. Um, mm -hmm. And so it just became more and more of a distance between us. Um, and then two, Tim, I will tell you, I did not have the relationship that I have with God that I had then. Okay. Um, I would like to, you know, I would do a lot of things of my own strength. Right. Um, so if there was a problem, I thought I could fix it on my own. Um, but I soon learned that that was not going to work and it was not the case. Mm -hmm. And well, so, <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, go ahead. But um, New Year's, uh, it was 2011, New Year's Eve. Um, and that's when I realized it was over. Um, I would say almost New Year, almost every New Year, uh, my ex would travel on the road and do shows and New Year's shows um, out of state. And I was home alone. I was there with Gabby and Gigi, my two daughters, and they mm -hmm. were so small. Gabby just had not, um, she was, she was three years old. Uh, Gigi had, uh, actually she was not even two years old yet. Um, and so I was there with them new years mm -hmm. and my, my wedding anniversary was actually a couple of days before new years and he was traveling on the road and he didn't call me for our anniversary. Oh, wow. And, right. And this was the thing. I didn't care. And so <laughs> oh. I know that it didn't, I had a very nonchalant attitude about it, which I thought was very bizarre, but I did. Um, and then New Year's Eve, he had actually called and I didn't answer the phone. Mm -hmm. And when he returned back, um, there was a party uh, for a, a show that he had been uh, performing on in Hollywood and it was closing. And he went to the party. He came back in town. He had gone to the, the rap party, as they call it, when they wrap a show. Mm -hmm. um, and I just didn't, I felt nothing. I felt nothing. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was like, that was pretty much when I knew it was over because I wasn't angry. I wasn't frustrated. I, I felt nothing. 
And I think that's a bad part to be at, especially um, recognizing the fact that you said just a few moments ago that you really didn't have that relationship with the, with the Lord at this point. And to to be going through that and feel nothing and really don't have anybody to rely on to give you that bit of hope and encouragement during that time must have been really hard for you. Well, it was. It was. And then the other part of that, too, is that I was a very strong believer in don't let other people inside of your marriage. So my family had no idea. But actually, when I told them that we were separating and getting divorced, they were shocked. Wow. They, every, everyone was shocked. My coworkers, my family, everyone was in complete shock because I did not complain to anyone. I didn't, I just pretty much internalized everything. Um, and, and like I said, I didn't pray. I didn't turn to God for any, any wisdom or strength or anything. Right. Um, so yeah, it was very, very lonely. I felt very, very lonely at that time. So during that time after 2011, New Year's Eve and the call doesn't come, he comes home, you're not feeling anything. How much longer were you guys together at that point? Actually, just several weeks. Okay. We, se- we, we separated about a week after Gabby's uh, birthday that year. Okay. We, did the, we did the birthday party together. I remember sitting down in the living room, and I just told him, I said, hey, I, I said, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I, I said, I can't do this anymore. And I was crying, and it was really it, – it was surreal, actually, um, because I never – it's weird. We didn't have a bunch of arguments. We didn't have anything crazy going on. Um, we didn't have like an infidelity issue. Like there was no like real straw that broke the camel's back. Right. For me. It was just something that happened. Um, and it, initially he wanted to talk me out of it. Um, but there wasn't really anything. There was nothing he could say or do at that point that would have changed my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I just was at that, that stage of, I just thought that, this is not going to work. Um, and I it, and I have mixed feelings about that, having grown up in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really just felt like it was not going to work. So at this point, you guys have become separated, coming to a divorce. Your father's sick. What kind of mind state did that leave you in? Well, initially... Um, it's weird. I've got, I went through several stages within a six-month period of time. Mm-hmm. When we initially uh, separated, I felt liberated. <laughs> I did. <Okay. laughs> I felt liberated because I ended up – that's when I moved to the beach. Okay. I went from living in the San Fernando Valley, and I went down to the South Bay. I got a townhouse just blocks from the beach, um, and I felt like, okay, I'm going to have to start start over a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have like this scary thought in my mind, like, oh my God, I, I might be alone for the rest of my life because I was thinking, okay, I have, <laughs> two, I have two very small children and I'm thinking, okay, but at the same time, I wanted them to see a happy mother. Right. And I don't think they were seeing a happy mother. Um, so I felt that bit of liberation, but at the same time, um, there was so much stress at the time. Um, and as, as the months had gone on, work had become pretty awful <laughs> and stressful. Um, I was dealing with now having the kids. I, I had them a lot on my own because of the traveling, but right. I truly really had them. And I, there was no one to just hand them off to, if, even if it was just for 10 minutes right. to, to do things. Um, and uh, compound that with my dad um, being told pretty much that a couple of months at best mm-hmm. uh, to live. And the, the, the sad part about it was because I was going through so many other things with the divorce, being recently separated, mm-hmm. work, I didn't really have an opportunity to go see my father before he died. And, you know, I, I struggled with that a little bit. Um, but he did get to see the girls the previous summer. We did a surprise visit, but it it just, it was just a culmination of a lot of things at one time. Um, and then I went from feeling liberated, exhausted, stressed to just feeling, um, just this anxiety Mm -hmm. where, where I was just worried all the time. My mind was constantly racing. Well, let me ask you a couple questions. What left you to not be able to go see your father before he passed? Well, I think a lot of it was a combination of um, the kids being so small, me feeling overwhelmed, 
there was the financial aspect of it as well because sure. when I separated that was pretty much I had to go find a place to live put first and last down pay for moving expenses you know yeah. find a school. I had to find a school for the children to attend and they I put them in this really nice private school as a little Montessori program mm-hmm. um, so there were a ton of financial obligations that I had during that period of time that to take the trip and then what would I do with the children when I take the trip? They were right. so just so many different things. Um, and that pretty much led to me just not being able to make the trip. Okay. So when you said you've led up to this point now where you went from liberation to exhaustion to this plain out full anxiety, what kind of anxieties and things were going through your head on a daily basis? Oh goodness. Just, just so many things where, um, the normal, the normal anxiety that you have when you're, you have small children, but then mm-hmm. the the additional anxiety of, oh my God, I'm out here by myself because I don't have any family here in California. I am an East Coast girl through and okay. through. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I did not have family here. My ex-husband had no family here either because he was from the East Coast as well. Okay. So I had no family support. Uh, my sister flew in to visit during the time uh, when I moved, helped out a lot. Um, her children came to visit, um, and it just so happens they came to visit about a week before my father had passed away. Okay. Um, and so I did have those pieces, but I really had no support system in place whatsoever out here on the West Coast, and it was terrifying. So it sounds like the loneliness was suffocating for you. Well, it was. It was. Um, and at the same time, I kept putting on, I think there was also the pressure of putting on this face for my children. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I know that, and, and I think any person who goes through divorce probably can relate to this. I didn't want my kids to end up messed up. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'll tell you, I'm a, I'm a product of divorce also. My, my parents were divorced, um, and I still, I never wanted for anything. And right. I think my, my father and my mom and my stepdad, everybody just did such a great job of, we still had this great childhood mm-hmm. um, with fantastic memories, but, um, but I just didn't want my kids to end up messed up. And mm-hmm. so I had to keep putting on this face every single day for them. Right. Excited, happy mommy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, as I said in the article, but then I get in the shower and I just bawl and just cry and cry and cry. Mm-hmm. That was the only safe place that I could really truly just let it out. Right. So after these days of exhaustion, the days of being this perfect mom for your kids so they don't end up messed up, like you said, and putting on, just being exhausted trying to be this other person for them and not even really having time just to be the person that you want to be, even if you knew what that was at that point, what was your next step in this process? Where did things actually start to turn around for you at all? Well, they didn't turn around until they got really, really, really bad. Um, well, tell I had, me about that. So I have been at this. Um, so I would say this every every Sunday. Uh, my 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 ex husband now we have a really great schedule now. He spends a lot of time with the children. But mm-hmm. initially, um, the only day that I had free was Sunday, and it would be like from Sunday ten or eleven a.m. until Monday morning, and that's it. So I didn't even have a twenty four hour <laughs> full twenty four hours. <laughs> So every Sunday, I'd have this ritual of just playing music, lighting candles, and taking a bath. And I would be in that tub for like sometimes two hours. (laughs) Um, Where it hit really low for me was there was one stage where I was in the tub, and I was so exhausted and so overwhelmed that I literally had the thought of, maybe I should just go underwater and end it. Mm -hmm. I really did. I, I... had never, never in, in my wildest dreams ever imagined I'd get to that stage, but I did. Um, I went, I, I kind of lowered myself, and the only thing I thought about were was if I'm worried about my kids being messed up now, <laughs> I was like, uh, I said, okay, I can't do that. That right. that would just truly, that would just truly be the worst. Um, but at the same time, it, and I think a lot of people can relate to when you're going through a lot of stuff. I just felt tired. I don't know what other word to call it, but just tired, tired and overwhelmed. Um, but then when I had that thought, I think that that thought freaked me out completely. Mm-hmm. And that's when I just said, Oh my God. Um, and then that's when I went and sought counseling. Okay. And it was actually a therapist who referred me um, to a psychiatrist and they actually said, no, you know what? You need a break. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I think for um, I think for people who are control freaks, they can relate to this. That t- someone telling them that they need a break is like. It's almost like the kiss of death. Like, what do you mean? I need a break. I've, I've got this. I've oh yeah, this. <laughs> absolutely. Well, I, I think it's important to uh, bring up the fact that you know, if anyone's listened to my podcast before, we talk a lot about mental health on this podcast. A lot of people have about, dealt with depression and suicide's a real thing and a bad thing. And I think it's important that that you were able to stop yourself almost like I can't do this, and but to seek help. It wasn't yeah. like, hey, I just got this on my own because. You were tired, not physically, but emotionally, mentally, everything compounding upon you to that point where you thought, they've got to be better off without me. I'm, you know, I'm a hot mess. I've, you know, I, what else do I have left to offer them? And um, I think it's very important that you talked about you, you did get help. So if you're out there and anybody's struggling with that, please get help. There is hope for you. There is light. And it does seem really dark sometimes, but there can be hope for you. Yes, I agree. And I think that um, I think there's a stigma attached to getting help, especially when you're one supposedly has it all together. Mm -hmm. Um, But that doctor putting me on that leave of absence is what truly just not only saved my life uh, uh, literally, but also figuratively, because Mm -hmm. that break is when I started walking on the beach. And that's when God told me to paint. Mm -hmm. So tell me tell me about that story. What was that like? So I started um, the first day that I was supposed to be on this break. I kind of was sitting around because the children were in, uh, they were young, but they were in preschool. So mm-hmm. I was home alone with my dog and I was just looking at her and I'm thinking, okay, I'm taking a break. What am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> I have nothing to do uh, because at that point my world revolved around career and taking care of the kids. There was not much else in the middle. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because I live so close to the beach, I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll just walk my dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started walking her more and more and I would start to spend much more time there, um, which was interesting because I lived near the beach, but I never really – took full advantage of that. Right. Um, so we would go for these walks and actually felt more relaxed. So it helped a lot with anxiety. It helped me sleep better. Mm-hmm. Um, the fresh air, the, the, I'm sorry, Tim, I don't mean to rub it in the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> Nisha, come on. I'm sorry. But it was just gorgeous. And it was right there at my fingertips every day. And so I started taking full advantage of it. Um, and then I would just sit there and then I realized how much I would, and then I realized that I was actually meditating. Mm-hmm. I had never been one to meditate because I didn't have that attention span. <laughs> right. <laughs> or the time. <laughs> right. So when I started just sitting there and staring at the ocean and just, just marveling at, at nature and, and, and the wonder of, and the beauty of nature is when I realized that actually I was meditating and I was having quiet time that I would mm-hmm. never allow myself to have before then. Absolutely. What was that like for you when you first started to feel like, okay, I'm, I'm finally calming down a little bit. I can actually feel my feelings a little bit and start to process what I'm really feeling and maybe what I want to do next. What was that like for you? Well, it, you know, it's, it, it was a little weird because at first, like I said, it was, I, 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 uh, fought it a little bit. Okay. Uh, because so, and I, I don't know how else to say it other than when I was sitting there first, the first few days, I was thinking, oh, my God, I might be crazy. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, please. So, because, like I said, there, I hate to say it, there is a stigma, but then also you feel like, you, you know, oh, my God, I have been told to be off from work, and I'm just sitting here. Mm-hmm. Um, but after a while, what I realized was that it was just such a gift. and. Um, I would just have all these different things kind of playing in my mind and just God just started depositing all of these, these positive things. Like look at the ocean, look at the color, Mm -hmm. look at the blue. Um, Blue is such a a soothing color. Um, And it ended up, most of my artwork has some form of blue in it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then shortly thereafter, I got the call. It it was uh, about four o'clock in the morning in late June. And I was told that my dad had passed away. Um, and I felt more, I felt more of a, of relief for him. And I know that anyone who's lost a loved one to terminal illness can certainly relate. 
right. because they struggle so much. And then in the end, it's such a, it could be horrific. It right. Really, um, but that morning, as soon as the sun rose and um, I, I went for a walk and I just remember walking, listening to music, and then I just sat down. And then I think it was shortly after that is when God spoke to me and said, you should paint. You should just paint. Why not? Um, interestingly enough, around the beach area, you meet a lot of people who don't have regular jobs. <laughs> <laughs> so I would, I would just come into contact with people who were very artsy. Right. Um, and, you know, they seem so laid back and so happy. And um, But I just thought to myself, paint? What? <laughs> that was a little weird for me. Right. Uh, because... The only thing artistic that I had been doing prior to that is if I was bored in class, like law school, you have a lot of people who are very theoretical and lecture a lot. And a lot of it's not even practical. You don't even need it for the bar exam for real right. life. So I would just draw pictures and doodle a lot mm -hmm. in law school sometimes. Um, but that was the extent of my artistic uh, <laughs> <laughs> career. Your ambitions uh, with art. Right. Well, well, let me jump into your story real quick. So you said early on, you know, a little bit back in your story, that you really didn't have any relationship with God at all at this point. So leading up to this point where you were now on the beach feeling these things and you felt like these impressions laid upon you, were you starting to develop a, a relationship with God before that? Or was this all like, hey, you need the paint? And you're like, who, who is talking to me? Um, what was that like? Yeah, I think so. The thing about it is, like I said, I grew up in the church. I knew God. I knew mm -hmm. what he was capable of. I only turned to him when I was in trouble or worried about something. Right. So if all was good, I really wasn't paying him as much attention as I should have. And I can admit that, hindsight. Um, sure. But yeah, it was almost like, it was almost startling because I wasn't praying every day or anything like that at this time. And I'm sitting there and I really, I finally understood what people say when they said that they heard a word from God. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times people would say that before and it, a lot of my decisions prior to that were not spirit-led at all. They were me-led. Right. <laughs> this is what I want to do. I think this is what the best decision is going to be for me. Mm -hmm. um, and if it didn't turn out right, it was someone else's fault. Sure, yeah. <laughs> so um, it, this was what people were referring to when they said hearing from God. I had finally heard from God. Mm -hmm. um, but even then, I wanted to debate him a little bit like, you <laughs> 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 so you feel this impression you hear God say hey you need to paint so what did you do with that besides feel like hey I'm a little crazy on the beach with all these artsy people who aren't working um, <laughs> so you get this message from God that you need to paint and so far your artistic ambitions have been doodling in law school <laughs> what did you do with that I ignored it at first I did mm -hmm. I did I, I didn't I wasn't immediately obedient or listening I kind of chuckled. That's funny. Mm -hmm. um, and then the next day, same thing, sitting down. Because at this point, I was walking to the beach every single day. Right. And again, and it was it was almost like this constant, you need to paint, you need to paint. Um, and then I finally said, okay, yeah, let me just go to the craft store. We'll see what we'll see what's gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> and so I did. Um, mm -hmm. I'd actually gone to the craft store. Um, but the thing was, I didn't even know what to buy. I, I went in, I found myself immediately overwhelmed because I started sure. walking the aisles. I didn't really, I mean, there was, there was oil paint, there was acrylic, there are different types of canvases, different types mm -hmm. of brushes, different. And I started feeling overwhelmed. And then, then I felt silly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> then I felt silly um, because I'm a pretty practical person. And then I started heading for the door. <laughs> Did you... <laughs> Did it, did you stay or did you leave? So, I so this young guy came up, and I and and honestly, I think you you know uh, sometimes people say that there are these there are angels on earth. Yeah, and, and God will place them in different scenarios and situations to see what you're going to do or to give you something or some information that you may need. Mm -hmm. I think that I think that he may have been because he caught me right as I was about to walk out of the door. And he said, can I help you with something? Mm -hmm. And normally people in stores do not say, can they help you with something as you're walking out of the store? Right. They ask when you're walking in the store. So it was very unusual. And then I just started, I burst into laughter. I was like, I want to paint. <laughs> <laughs> I, because 
I felt silly. And he just had a serious face. He just smiled and he said, you know what? My dad's an artist, actually. He's a professional artist. He's, and, I, and I said, really? I said, I don't even know what to buy. He's like, I can show you every single thing. I will show you everything you need to see. And wow. so he took me to the aisle and we had a cart and he was put, uh, picking things out. And he, it wasn't even like the most expensive stuff. He would say, this is the better deal. Let's get that one. Okay. Try these acrylics and try this and try that. And, um, and then when I, and I, just, I just thought, I was so amused by it. But the thing he told me as I was about to walk out of the store is he said, the next time you come back in here, I want you to show me something that you've painted. Okay. And I was like, oh, God. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> um, And then I was thinking, okay, maybe I need to just go to another store next time or something so I don't have to. Like, <laughs> no accountability to this guy. No, no accountability whatsoever. So I just started painting. And, Tim, I, I don't know how to explain it other than. The first thing that I painted, um, actually, when I did my, my solo exhibit, it actually sold. Like someone had actually, someone I didn't know, this guy from, um, uh, I think he was from Santa Monica, had come down, he'd heard mm -hmm. about the art show, and he actually purchased it. And that was my first painting. Wow. But that, that's how, how decent it was. I, I don't want to say good. I don't want to call myself good um, because I think art can be kind of, but it was my first painting. What was your first painting of? It was of me surfing. Of you surfing. <laughs> it was. It was very. It was. It was kind of a funny painting, but it was showing me as I'm like sort of about to fall off of the surf surfboard. Okay, cool. Um, and it was called wipe. It was called wipeout. That was <laughs> <laughs> because I'm so original, right? Yes. So, um, <laughs> but it was, and so, but it was funny because it was it was more of a joke. Like I was painting, and I thought it was funny, and I said I would. I always wanted to learn how to surf. And when mm -hmm. I first moved to California, I had intended to, and then I got married, and then I got pregnant. I was like, I'm not getting on the surfboard. So that, that's what well. How funny is that? That picture at that time kind of represented your life a little bit, if you think it about did. it. It you're, did. You're, you're trying to find <laughs> your footing on rocky seas, right? You found right. yourself feeling silly to be painting, and you feel like wipeout. I'm ready to wipe yourself out. So. I think all these things are playing in your mind that really put yourself in that picture and just to feel good all the time later that someone actually bought that photo or not the photo, but the, the art that you painted. How cool is that? Oh, I know. Um, and you just, you just really hit the nail on the head. So a lot of that, that one was more of a, a humorous approach, but most of my first paintings were very, very much uh, in tune with what I was doing and what I was going through. Mm -hmm. I have a painting called Mother's Protection. Mm -hmm. And it's a painting where I'm standing on the, the end of a dock with an umbrella over Gabby and Gigi. Mm -hmm. um, and there's this tremendous storm and there's lightning above. But I'm standing there with that umbrella and I'm covering them. And it's wow. called Mother Protection. And there, there's another That's one. powerful. Called, right, yeah. It, but it was that was how I felt. I felt extremely protective over them in that I didn't want – I just didn't want um, – it to be traumatizing for them to go through the, for the divorce. Mm -hmm. uh, and even the, the time off from work, all they knew was that, Oh, mommy's just taking a break from work. I'm just taking some time off. Mm -hmm. But they were, too, they were too young at the time really to be that inquisitive to say, sure. Mom, when are you going back to work? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a week. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, what did your girls start to think when you started painting? What did they think when you all said mom's here, she's got all these things and she's painting. What, what was it like for the girls? Actually, it was so much fun. Um, it was our house became so colorful. There was so much life in our house. Um, mm -hmm. I, I began to become this person who was not rigid, this person who was flexible. Um, you know, if they wanted to paint too, so I went off and I bought them e their own little easel sets, and we would literally uh, just throw like old sheets on the floor, mm -hmm. and everyone would have an easel set up, and we would just be painting together. If they spilled paint on the floor, I didn't even scream or act crazy. I would just say, oh, well, we clean that up. I became a more laid-back, balanced person. Um, and so they, they just enjoyed it. And they used to brag to people about, my, oh, my, our mommy's an artist. Our mommy's an artist or whatever. And I said, well, you know, actually, mommy's a lawyer, but I'm doing a – what's a lawyer? Okay, yeah, whatever. Mommy's an artist. Like, they thought that was cool. Well, they, could, they think they could connect with that. They know what art is. I mean, as young children, they don't understand what law is necessarily, and they were proud of that. 
So did you even recognize the person that you were at that point from the person that you were before? Did you recognize who you were? Not really. Mm -hmm. um, I felt like I still I felt like I still had the best parts of me. Mm -hmm. um, the compassion. I always had a lot of compassion, always um, very giving and thoughtful. But some of the worst parts were were having to almost be forced out of me. Like like I said, just being inflexible, not, mm -hmm. you know, being very too structured almost to where if things didn't go exactly how I thought, I thought it would be almost oh, the end of the world. Oh my God. Right. Um, and it was relaxing. It was relaxing. Um, and so even, even in times when I would have like a little bit of insomnia, I'd wake up. Okay. Instead of turning on the television, I go downstairs, I just start painting. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, fall asleep for a few hours, wake back up, and then I go downstairs and there's a beautiful piece of art that I'm working on. Awesome. It's just constant reward, constant reward for the work. So did you feel that, you know, at this point, you had been obedient to what God had asked you to do, and you started to feel his blessings in your life, and you started getting a little bit of that support, and that emptiness was filling up with God, and the happy things in your life, and all the bad things were kind of going away? Yeah, I, I did. And, you know, the other thing, too, is that um, just going through the divorce, our divorce was not very nasty. And like I said, we hadn't gotten into a lot of arguments. But I, I always tell people, I think because he met me when I was 17 and he was 19, mm -hmm. there was this childhood you know, thing of like, OK, you're still my friend. Um, so even my ex-husband was so happy for me when he started seeing the painting, like he mm -hmm. actually was really, really happy for me. And we're actually good friends now. We, uh, I think that, you know, sometimes when you force something, because when we got married, God didn't tell us to get married. We said we're getting married. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so right. that was even sort of something we decided and we forced. Um, but now we have a better relationship now and better partnership in parenting that we're divorced. Um, and he, he's one of my, our great supporters with not only our art, but our book series. Mm -hmm. So, well, tell me about it. So you're starting to do this art. You're, you know, obviously doing really well at it. Your house is alive with color, with happiness again, and a whole new world. What happened next in your life? So actually, after I got divorced, I started dating. I got into the dating world, which was interesting. <laughs> interesting. I've been, I even did Match.com at one point. That was interesting. I was I joined I joined it, and then mm -hmm. I was freaked out because I, I mean the whole point of joining is so that you can meet people and go out. Every time someone contacted me, I thought they would be like a serial killer, so I would not. <laughs> so I was like, why did I do this? If every time someone that's the whole point for people to contact you, right? Um, so it was really funny, but um, but I did start dating um, here and there. Um, but I wouldn't allow anyone around my children. So it would just be on my day where my ex would have the girls. Um, but what I found was that, you know, people were, people were really fascinated with me being an artist. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that, um, I think part of it is that a lot of people have a lot of things inside of them that they want to do, or they think about doing. And they always say, when I retire, I'm going to do A, B, and C. Right. Um, so I would meet people who were just fascinated with like, oh my God, you're an artist. Oh my God. And, and they come to pick me up at the house and see artwork everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it was like, wow. Um, so I guess I was a good catch because I was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> no one wants to date a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> lawyer by day, super big catch by night. <laughs> no one wants to date. So I was a much more interesting person as an artist than a lawyer. <laughs> Well, did you meet anybody by doing this? So actually, I did not. I, I met, now I've, I've been, as I shared with you in a previous conversation, I'll share with your listeners, I am remarried now. Yay. But I met, I met my husband at work, and he is actually my biggest cheerleader. Um, he's awesome. And um, we do sit down, and he has goals and things that he wants to do as well and things that he has in the works. Mm -hmm. But he has a business management background, and he has just been phenomenal in, in just sitting down with me and really um, helping me steer my career um, in terms of the art and the books and things that I'm doing um, now. Um, and 
yeah, he was fascinated too. He was like, wow, I've never dated an artist. So if you were to talk to him, I think, he, you know, he was pretty fascinated with me early on because of that. <laughs> <laughs> so as your, as your stories evolved, I mean, to go back into your story a little bit to, or for our listeners, you know, with the podcast is really all about hope and encouragement for people. And just the fact to tell people to be obedient to God, to listen to his calling, because I mean, how often at times, like you said at the very beginning, he said, go paint, and you said, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm, right. I'm not going to go paint. And, <laughs> you know, there's so many times where God's waiting for us to step into these blessings, waiting for us to just listen to what he's calling us to do. And we, since it's outside our comfort zone, outside what we can think about, we often run away from that. And yeah. I think it's just important in your story, as soon as you started to really be obedient to that call, even if it was painting and it seemed crazy to you, your life really started to evolve in a good way. It did. And, and it was off of the plan. You know, like I said, I had a blueprint. I thought things mm -hmm. were going to be a certain way. But by listening, it opened up so many doors, um, things that I never even thought that I'd be doing. I mean, mm -hmm. even the fact that I'm talking to you right now about these things, mm -hmm. um, I, I used to feel like, you know, if I had something that I went through and even if I evolved from it, I never wanted to share that because I always wanted to look put together and right. look in control. Um, but now I'm finding that people want to hear it. They want to hear about how someone went through a situation and how they listened and were they were obedient and how doors open. Mm -hmm. um, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm so thankful that I finally stopped being stubborn and I did listen to what God yeah. was telling me. <laughs> Well, I like. I think it's very important what you just said that a lot of people don't want to share their story, and I, you know, I talked about all the time on the podcast asking for more and more people to come share their story. Is like you said, people um, they don't connect to that Facebook perfect story that everyone puts out there. You know, people put out the social media, then they're like, "Oh, they look perfect. They look put together. I have nothing. I'm a total hot mess." But the reality is, people connect to the hot mess. Yes, people, you know they do. Because we're all a hot mess, you know. We all have our struggles, and we all have these things that we've been through, and people connect to that. They don't connect to the perfect image. They connect to the person who is the before and after picture. They want to see what you went through and the struggles and the depression, the anxiety, and the divorce, and all of that stuff compounds to them thinking, hey, if Phoenicia did this and she was obedient, maybe if I am and I listen, I could have this same thing too. And so that's why I applaud you for coming on and sharing your story. It's so important. Your story matters so, so much. Thank you so much. And, you know, it's interesting. A few days ago, uh, a friend of mine, um, and actually I met her just a few years ago. So she was not around during that time where I was having anxiety and just going through all these crazy things. Mm -hmm. Actually, when she met me, was basically I was going, this is when I was hitting my peak. Mm -hmm. And I had a solo exhibit and was doing all these wonderful things and it met my husband and then she saw me get married. She saw all these wonderful things happen. She came up to me a few days ago because she read an art, the article about me on Guidepost and she saw some of the things that I had gone through and she just looked at me and she just gave me a hug and she said, I had no idea. Mm -hmm. She said, you walk around and you just have, you have so much joy and you smile and you're so happy. She mm -hmm. said, I would have never guessed you went through all of those things at the same time. And she's like, oh my God. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's really, and just to be honest, when I first talked to Phoenicia on the phone just a couple of days ago when we set up this time to be on the podcast, she does have a joy about her. Like I could hear the smile in her voice and I told her that. And that just comes with really stepping into where you're supposed to be in life. And, and once you get into that lane that God put you in, and I've said this in other podcasts before, it's like there's no traffic. You can drive as fast as you want and you're, you're just really achieving all the things you want that he has in store for you which I think is amazing. Um, let me ask you a couple of questions. I know you've talked about that you do art and you've had art exhibits. Tell me about some of the books and things that you've done, that what you're working on right now. Okay. Well, so you had asked before, too, about how my daughters were reacting to Oh, yeah. And they were painting with me. But one of the things that they also loved to do was to draw when I was mm -hmm. drawing. And um, so we would sit at the table together and we draw. And then they'd like to just, they just started drawing a lot of pictures of things that they like to do. Mm -hmm. um, and then it got so, I mean, it got so in depth to the point where um, they were looking at it. And they, my oldest daughter, Gabby, said, Mommy, this is like a book. 
because mm -hmm. they had everything that they liked to do, all the different things about them. Um, and that's when God said, yeah, maybe you should just do a, a children's book. And I was like, what? Uh-oh, God's coming at you again. He was. It, but, this <laughs> time, but this time, I will say I was not as stubborn. Um, so I started kind of looking into it. I didn't know the first thing about doing a children's book, but I started to look into it. Mm -hmm. um, and then I realized it was a little bit easier than I thought. Um, and instead of instead of me trying to find an agent and trying to do all of these things, I feel like God, um, so I feel like he gives you tools mm -hmm. along the way. Mm -hmm. And some of the skill sets that he gives you along the way, you never realize how you'll truly be able to use them. But because of my background, being a researcher and a lawyer, mm -hmm. I was able to just self-publish and oh, also wow. research marketing, ways to market the book, and just all kinds of interesting things um, and put together um, what is now the Gabby and Gigi book series. And we released our first book, which is called Meet Gabby and Gigi, mm -hmm. uh, where you're being introduced to the characters um, and their dogs. And our second book, Daisy Did It, is going to be released this summer. Daisy is actually our, she will be seven years old this September. I've been told she's a senior dog, although she's a <laughs> baby still. Oh, I'm sure. Um, but, but we're doing all of these fantastic things. We're developing, developing it into an animated children's series also. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So we can start plugging it away um, as, a, as a cartoon series. Um, we I'm actually setting up a meeting this week um, in Huntington Beach with a doll maker. We're developing Gabby and Gigi dolls also. Anisha, you have got <laughs> so much going on. I tell you what, in the show notes, I'm going to have links to your website where people can take a look at your books and purchase those books and the up upcoming things about that. Um, I think it's an amazing wrap-up here to show how God can redeem a story. I mean, at one point, you're laying in a bathtub thinking, this is it for me. I, people are going to be better off if I just go under the water and don't come back up. So overwhelmed, suffocated by the loneliness and all the things going on with your father, the divorce. But to look where you're at now and to see how, you know, being obedient to God, how he's redeemed your story to where you're at now, that you're living this amazing life. Great example. You know, you have an amazing husband, a good support system, and that your daughters are seeing all these amazing things you have done before. And I think that it's just so great about your story. But I, what I ask everybody at the very end of every podcast, if anybody else is going through the things that you went through out there, you know, the lack of support at home, maybe the lack of hope and stuff like that, what bit of hope and encouragement could you offer to somebody right now who's listening? I think the main thing is that it doesn't have to be your last and final chapter. Um, I think I, I love the title of your show, The Unwritten Life, because mm -hmm. it really is unwritten. And when you're going through a situation, you really do truly feel like this is it for me. And you're right. You look at other people's lives and you think it's perfect. Um, one of the things that I'd like to tell your listeners is that while I'm doing all these amazing things, I still have challenges and things that happen now. But it's because I went through what I went through and I, and I saw God's goodness and, and all of the, the gifts and things that he can bring outside of, mm -hmm. inside of you that you don't know that they're, they're there. Um, I know that even if I come up against a challenge, that God's got my back. And there are things that, mm -hmm. that he knows that he's going to line up for me that I don't even know are there yet. But he's going to line it up for me. Um, and I think just having that hope and knowing that mm -hmm. it is not your last chapter and that there can be these amazing things that happen along the way, even if a door closes, I think that's all the hope you need It's just to know that there's more out there for you. Phoenicia, I don't think you could have said that any more beautifully, that this is not your last chapter, that your story is unwritten, and that God has your back. That was amazing. Hey, if anybody wants to connect with you, Phoenicia, how can they do that? So we actually have a lot of social media <laughs> sites going on. Um, but the first thing is we do have a website. It's www.gabbygg.com. Okay. Uh, E-A-B-B-Y-G-I-G-I.com. And that's our interactive site where we talk about the book and, and the characters are there. Um, there are also some free downloads for children and some okay. activities. Um, but I'm also on social media as well. I'm on Facebook and I'm also on Twitter and uh, Gabby and GGR as well. So my Facebook is at 
Phoenicia Marchette Design. And Phoenicia Marchette is P-H-N-E-S-H-A-M-A-R-C-H-E-T-T-E Design. All right. Uh, Gabby and Gigi are at Gabby and Gigi. All right, perfect. What I'll do to make it simple for everybody, I'll put all these links in the show notes so people can click on those and then they don't have to worry if they spelled Phoenicia wrong. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know. So growing up, I hated my name because it was always weird and everyone spelled it wrong. But when I became an artist, I realized it's kind of fancy. Yeah. <laughs> Phoenicia, I love your spirit. I think you're hilarious. You have such a warm smile and such a great story and such great positivity of hope and encouragement for people. I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast today. I know you're really going to offer a lot of love and insight and light for people's lives. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Tim, for having me. It has been my pleasure. Well, what an amazing joy it was to have Phoenicia join us today on the podcast. I mean, you can really hear the smile in her voice, right? She had me laughing the entire podcast. Uh, her laugh is contagious, and so is her amazing spirit. Phoenicia's story is one that we've heard many times over and over again from people, and it was a story about listening to God calling you. And... Early on, she had those struggles that she talked about, you know, with that divorce and being alone and didn't want her kids to be messed up. So she was always putting on that face for her family and got to the point where she was alone that time in the bath and just thought about ending it all and thinking that people would be better off without her. And But luckily, she was able to come back out of that water. And it was kind of like when she came out of that water, she was kind of reborn. Uh, a new purpose kind of started there in her life. And again, coming back to her words, she didn't want her kids to be messed up at all. So anyhow, that was such a powerful part of her story, sharing that her ultimate lows uh, led her to a chance to start a new life, to get hope by going to visit those beaches and walking, starting to get healthy a little bit, and hearing that calling to go be a painter. And uh, how many times in our life do we feel left alone we go on those lonely walks, and we are looking for those signs. We're looking for someone to speak some truth into us, to give us those answers, to take us to the next step. And she really did hear that voice. She heard that voice about, go paint, be an artist. And she figured, no way. You know, I've only been doodling here in law school. What, what can I possibly offer? And the point is, is that to be obedient to that calling, be it that uh, calling from God or just that desire you have deep down inside of you, if you think that there's something that's too big for you and you're scared to tackle it, go for it. One of my favorite quotes was, I just heard it this past week, is to set goals so big that you fail at them, but yet that you grow into the person who is big enough and strong enough to tackle those goals. And that's a big statement because we think, I don't want to fail at anything. Why would I set myself up for a goal so big that I fail at it? But make it so big. Make it so powerful that you do fail at it. So it challenges you to grow into that person who can take on that goal. In listening to Phoenicia's story, just think how it evolved. She went from, I'm not going to be a painter, to she started painting. Then she started painting more. Her kids got excited into it. She started painting more. Um, she ends up having her own shows. She ended up making a children's book. Now she has an animated series coming, dolls coming, all because she listened to that voice and was obedient to that voice. After fighting it for a while, like we all do, but being obedient to that voice and following after it, and she had all these blessings lined up in front of her, all these things available for her to take and now do these things with a passion and be able to spread that passion with others and be able to spread that joy with her kids and be able to have this time to show them, listen, just because this happened, that's not your final chapter like she talked about. Your story is unwritten. It's such an amazing feeling to know that and that all these amazing things can happen in your life by following that voice, heeding that calling, stepping into that next level for you, stepping into those blessings to the next thing that you're being called to do. So I'm challenging you guys today. Listen. Listen for that calling. Listen for that little thing inside of you that says, hey, maybe you should try fill in the blank. It'll be scary at first. You may not want to do it at first. But really, on the other side of all of that is that freedom or those blessings is that new life for you and the new opportunities. Do not live in fear and pass up on those opportunities. 
Well, guys, I have some big news to share. This is the end of season one of the Unwritten Life podcast. This has been such an amazing time for me. I've really got to meet a lot of great people, a lot of inspirational people, inspirational stories that have touched so many people's lives, have made so many people out there feel normal who were going through things where they did not feel normal, and have really spread that message of hope. So let's do a brief recap of all the amazing stories that we've had to offer on this very first season. And the first one was back on uh, February 13th, and that was my story where I shared where I stand in the unwritten life and uh, my struggle with depression and things like that. So I, I encourage you to go back to listen to all of these, you know, and then episode two is, was Bonnie Collins sharing her story with Maya, her daughter, and keeping her spirit and story alive with the Maya Sent Me movement. And episode three with Katie Ersta, that powerful, powerful story where she said that cancer chose me. And I chose to fight, and she chose to go to the next level and realize that, you know what, I'm not going to let this beat me. I'm going to fight from day one, and she started the Every Sweat Matters. Such an inspirational story. And then we move on to episode four featuring Katie Bryant, and I know so many people really connected with Katie's story and her battle of depression and her low, low lows and really wanting to end it all and really coming through it on the other side to share that joy with other people. And then episode five with Jesse Richardson. Uh, Jesse's podcast has been the most downloaded podcast so far. She really had such a powerful, gripping story. And she's talked about her battling with the OCD and mental illness and domestic violence and all the things that she went through. And don't forget about Bea Glenn and all those amazing things that happened with that. So check out Jesse's story also. And then we had episode six with Taylor Moliterno. And uh, sharing her really amazing story with her baby girl, Frankie Joy, and how she understood and went through that journey of why Frankie went home to be with God without her, and uh, that message of hope that she had for so many other people out there. Such a powerful episode. And then we had episode seven with Katie Isaac, where she came on and shared her story, her real struggle with that uh, eating disorder and how it controlled her but how she discovered that life of freedom, how she was able to step away from the control and into that self-love with her husband. And then we can never forget episode eight with Kendra Zaru, where she really shared that powerful story about the loss of her husband and God's grace, how it delivered her to a life of love again. And she really laid out a blueprint there, a blueprint on how to grieve and get through to the next level. So make sure you go back and check out her episode. Then we had episode nine featuring Michelle Cousins, her story was so powerful and raw. She came on and talked about her story of battling through an abusive relationship and a marriage and all the things that went along with it and how she escaped to a new life with her kids, with a new freedom, with some new love on the other side of that. And then we had episode 10 featuring Jessica Barnum. And she came on and really shared her story about losing her husband to suicide, um, how devastating that was for her, but that which led her to connecting with God and God redeeming her story and help her find love again and move on from that. And then we had, we can't forget episode 11 featuring Beth Guckenberger and we interviewed her about her book, Reckless Faith. And she came on and shared all those different stories and experiences with those orphans and those really gripping, powerful stories that really kind of hold you to your core there and um, realize that God can redeem all the stories. He can redeem all the sadness. And I think if you have not yet heard Reckless Faith, go back, find that book, and listen to it. It's such an amazing read. And then last week we had episode 12 featuring Jed Zaner. We talked about that at the beginning, about how he survived those years of abuse and how God redeemed him and turned so he could redeem other lives. And now he's also working with Back to Back Ministries and helping so many people down in Monterey, Mexico, find that spirit of love and that spirit of hope again. So as you can see, we recap 12 amazing episodes. Today's episode 13 that you're listening to today for being generous with their time, being generous with their stories, being vulnerable, opening up, and really just sharing those dark moments, but to show that they made it through on the other side and have a message of hope. And what we're going to do in season two is we're going to revisit some of these stories because the name of the podcast is The Unwritten Life. Your story is still unwritten. So these people's stories are still evolving, and there are other things that have been added to the stories since we last recorded. So we're going to add some of those little bonus episodes in season two. 
and I have a slate of new interviews coming up, and it's going to be an amazing season too. The reason we're taking the small break is I have some travel coming up, and I want to make sure that I can supply you with a great slate of amazing interviews coming up, stuff that's really going to touch you, challenge you, and help get you through to the other side. As always, you can connect with me on the Facebook group, The Unwritten Life Podcast. That's where our conversation is going on all the time. And that's where we're interacting a lot. Also, TheUnwrittenLifePodcast.com. That's where the show notes are always at, pictures of the people who have been on the show, all their contact information. And then lastly, at, on Instagram, at The Unwritten Life Podcast. All different ways to connect. And I just said at the beginning, if you feel it in your heart, to leave a review on iTunes, leave a written review, rate the show, put it out there for more people to see. Guys, thank you so, so much for the support, for spreading this message of hope, and continuing to love on the people on the podcast, contacting them and share their stories over and over and over again. So we've come to the end of the first season, but this is not the end of your story at all. Remember, you matter. All of you can make a difference, and your story is still unwritten.